President Jair Bolsonaro took office in January 2019 with an advantage almost none of his predecessors had, a wounded opposition that was reduced to near irrelevance. Over the past year, left-wing politicians watched political events from the sidelines, having very little influence on debates in the country, which makes it all the more puzzling how the Jair Bolsonaro administration has managed to be the dumpster fire we have witnessed for the last 16 months. It's been a never-ending succession of crises, making it hard to remember every single political disaster that has occurred since Bolsonaro took office. The latest crisis unfolded on April 24th, as former Operation Car Wash judge turned Justice Minister Sergio Moro resigned from the cabinet, accusing his boss, President Jair Bolsonaro, of trying to meddle with federal investigations and illegally requesting confidential police reports. Moro was thought as one of the adults in the room in the Bolsonaro government, the figures who could control the president's worst impulses. Now, it seems the government is running out of adults. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. We are facing the worst pandemic in a century, which will kill tens of thousands of Brazilians, possibly even hundreds of thousands. It will lead the country to an economic depression. And yet here we are, not discussing COVID-19. Because besides the coronavirus, Brazil is facing an institutional lockdown. Let me explain. On Friday, April 24th, Justice Minister Sergio Moro called a press conference and dropped a bomb on Brasilia. Quero cumprimentar que não só jornalistas, pessoal da imprensa, mas especialmente aqui o pessoal do Ministério da Justiça. He quit. He couldn't work for Jair Bolsonaro anymore, saying that the president had fired the federal police chief in order to name, quote, someone that could feed him information about investigations. O presidente me disse mais de uma vez, expressamente, que ele queria ter uma pessoa do contato pessoal dele, que ele pudesse ligar, que ele pudesse colher informações, que ele pudesse colher aí relatórios de inteligência. And not just any investigation, but those in progress in the Supreme Court, meaning that they involve elected officials who are granted special jurisdiction. It's not Bolsonaro, the president, who has a special interest in certain investigations, but rather it's Bolsonaro, the father. His sons Carlos and Flavio are being scrutinized for suspected illegal activity. Carlos, a Rio de Janeiro city councilor, is suspected of running an underground fake news machine to smear politicians and Supreme Court justices. Flavio, a senator, is believed to have ties with urban paramilitary mafias in Rio. Sergio Moro's press conference shocked Brasilia and forced the prosecutor general to ask for an investigation of the whole affair, which on Monday was authorized by the Supreme Court. In a nutshell, that's what happened. To discuss where we go from here, we welcome the Brazilian Report columnist Claudio Couto 
a political scientist and professor at Think Tank Fundação Getúlio Vargas. Claudio, thanks for coming back to the show. Uh, what did you make of the Moro Bolsonaro breakup? Bolsonaro is a self-destructive kind of politician that creates problems uh, for himself all the time, that create new enemies all the time. Uh, it was foreseeable that with such a, a, a big uh, personality like Moro besides him, and he's he been jealous of, of Moro for his popularity, for the size of the political size that Moro uh, uh, has by his own merits. Since Moro is more popular than Bolsonaro, he clearly has has uh, uh, political ambitions. It's certainly now uh, 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 that he is a presidential candidate. Uh, it was impossible to don't imagine that this would be the, the, the end of the story. The point was uh, when it would happen, not if it would happen. Just one week or 10 days after, uh, he also fired another popular minister, the Minister of Health. And so since the political costs of Bolsonaro are uh, uh, will accumulate one after the other, I think that the capacity of this administration to end its term normally is very, is very limited. You compared Moro's exit with that of Luiz Henrique Mandetta from the health ministry. But one week removed from his fire, no one talks about Mandetta anymore. But Moro is different, right? Because, for instance, we at the Brazilian Report measured the debate on Twitter and Moro's resignation engaged over 180,000 tweets per hour at his speak, double that of the firing of Mandetta. I mean, that's because Moro wasn't just an old cabinet minister, was he? Uh, he was a cornerstone for Bolsonaro. He lent credibility to administration, and he was the president's anti-corruption token. Uh, how do you see Bolsonarism without Moro? Moro uh, was already a national hero for the people who believed that uh, th his fight against corruption was well done, that uh, he did the good thing, the right thing. Even during demonstrations, we had people that used uh, 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 inflated uh, dolls with Moro as a superhero. And so it's a, a quite different situation from that of Mandetta. But at the same point, when Bolsonaro uh, uh, hired him, to, the, to his administration. He obtained from Moro a stamp or a, a token, like you said, uh, of uh, a government that fights against corruption, a government of the honest people. Well, when he fires Moro this, this way, and he fires Moro uh, 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 in such a situation, in a clear attempt to protect his family, well, I think that he totally loses uh, his token for anti-corruption. At the same time, uh, Bolsonaro started negotiations bargaining with what we call the big center, Centrão, that those parties that they adhere to any kind of government. It doesn't matter the ideology, it doesn't matter the reputation, if they have something in exchange. And Bolsonaro was elected talking against this kind of negotiation, talking against the, the political system, talking against specifically this kind of parties, despite the fact that Bolsonaro himself belonged to parties like this for his whole political life. But since he fired Moro at the same time when he started to, to do this kind of negotiations, 
after denying that he would do that, well, we have an additional element to uh, promote the ruin of Bolsonaro's reputation to the people that believe that his government would uh, found a new way of making politics in Brazil. Okay, so let's talk about the investigation into Moro's accusations. Uh, how scared should Bolsonaro be? Well, I think that he would be a bit worried at least, since these investigations, they can uh, affect not only Bolsonaro himself, but also his family. Since uh, a part of this investigation, it has to do with the what, what we call in Brazil the hate cabinet. That is the group of people that work together with Bolsonaro in order to attack, in order to create uh, fake news uh, against the adversaries of the government. The same group is also connected with the demonstrations uh, some weeks ago uh, when Bolsonaro went to the, 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 the front of the general quarters of, of the army in, in Brasilia. Uh, where demonstrators were uh, claiming for a military coup, claiming for the enactment of an authoritarian act, similar to the one ha that we used to have during the dictatorship, uh, claiming also for the closure of, this, of the Congress, of the Supreme Court. And considering the connection between these two things, it will certainly affect Bolsonaro's family and then he himself, since he is so concerned with the family and his family is so enrolled in governmental activities, that is impossible to split what affects one to what affects the other. Okay, if, and that's a big if, the investigation ends with an indictment request, what happens is that the House of Representatives will vote on whether or not to approve the president's indictment. It takes a two-third majority for it to pass, in which case Bolsonaro would be suspended for six months and only take office again if he is acquitted. Is this government weak enough to allow an indictment to pass? We must wait a little to see what is really going to happen. Bolsonaro is trying to build not a majoritarian coalition. I think it's very difficult for him to have a majoritarian coalition, but at least a minimum basis of congressional support. We don't know if Bolsonaro will become able to deal with these politicians. Until now, he wasn't. Now he's trying a desperate move in order to obtain this kind of support. And also, of course, it has a lot to do with the popularity of his administration. Bolsonaro shows to be very resilient. The first polls after the, the, the dismissal of Sergio Moro showed that Bolsonaro was able to, to keep those one-third of the voters that still support him. And this is very impressive. Even uh, scandal after scandal, he keeps this very strong support. I think that also it has to do with his position uh, in favor of the people going back to work because it's important to the economy. And since people are being affected by the, 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 the decrease of the economic activity due to the, the, the pandemic, well, perhaps this position of Bolsonaro reinforce his position uh, with this kind of people, but uh, how long it will last? When the, the, the situation of the pandemics uh, even appear uh, in a more uh, dramatic way, with people don't being uh, 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 supported by the hospitals and our curves is still climbing, well, uh, if you have this, uh, I don't think that this popularity of Bolsonaro will, will, will remain for a long time. 
Cláudio Couto is a political scientist and professor at think tank Fundação Getúlio Vargas. Remember when he mentioned that Sergio Moro is a shoo-in presidential candidate in 2022? That's our topic after the break. I'm Laura Kiran, co-founder of the Brazilian Report. COVID-19 has created a media paradox. Audiences are going up, but for many journalism companies, revenues actually is going down. Some of Brazil's biggest media outlets are trying to cut the salaries of their reporters by up to 70%. Not us. We protect our team because they bring you the best information about Brazilian English. But we do ask you to subscribe to The Brazilian Report, which is the engine of this podcast. There, you will find new in-depth content every day, special reports, analytical newsletters. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. And please stay safe. During his press conference, Sergio Modu said that no matter where he is, he will be at the service of the country, which was unanimously interpreted as the launch of his 2022 presidential bid. To discuss how strong Modo will still be two years from now, we must remember how he became one of the most influential people in Brazilian politics. Editor Ewan Marshall talked about that with Benjamin Fogo, a regular contributor of the Brazilian Report, who also writes for Jacobin Magazine, Africa is a country, and is working on a PhD in the history of Brazilian corruption. Let's listen to them. So, Ben, first of all, Sergio Moro has left the cabinet. He did so on Friday. What is the legacy that he leaves at the Justice Ministry? Well, I think there's two elements to that. I and mean, we can talk about... A third element, which is uh, his actions before he came to the Justice Ministry, ministry later. But I think the first element is the respectability that he gave and the fact that his government probably wouldn't be here today if not for his presence in the government. It wouldn't have got elected without him, but that's something we can talk about later. And secondly, and I think this is uh, it will be his legacy if you want to look in terms of what he achieved in terms of policy, it's... Uh, an increase of authoritarianism and uh, interventionist power on behalf of, this, behalf of the state and in quite disturbing fashions. We have a anti-crime bill which was widely criticized uh, for effectively granting immunity to police officers uh, who felt their lives were threatened when they shoot someone, which could really mean anything. And as we know in Brazil, uh, it, this basically serves a de facto immunity for police. We also have the fact that he he basically did not act against, at key moments, these sort of insurrectionist uh, strikes, which were led by the military police, which led some uh, to conclude that he was one of the most important centers of support for authoritarianism within the government. We also then have uh, his attempts to use elements of judiciary and federal police to harass journalists who were covering uh, the Vazajato leaks, the leaks surrounding his misconduct, uh, along with Lava Jato investigators, Operation Car Wash, 
uh, over the last few years when he was a judge. So I think uh, his legacy of hostility towards the press and uh, in other policy terms, increasing the sort of authoritarian powers of the state will be what he's really added to um, in terms of uh, policy making to the Brazilian government uh, under the, under his uh, just over a year in office. I think uh, beyond that, um, really, there's not a major anti-corruption victory uh, since Bolsonaro was elected, as he de facto admitted in his resignation speech, uh, such a moral that is, uh, the Workers' Party government uh, respected the autonomy of the federal police and judiciary and anti-corruption efforts in a way that Bolsonaro never has. So, as you described there, throughout Jair Bolsonaro's presidency so far, Sergio Moro kind of acted as something like a an anti-corruption totem, you know, just like get him into the government so no one can say that we are corrupt because we have Mr. Anti-Corruption on our side. So what does it mean now that he's gone? What does it mean for the Jair Bolsonaro government? The meaning of anti-corruption is, means something different for Moro and his supporters, uh, or at least what they put on uh, hit Moro, uh, to Bolsonaro. So for Sergio Moro and his supporters, anti-corruption uh, was voiced as some sort of technocratic modernizing project that would do away with all the backwards structures and interests and venal corruption that was holding Brazil back. In essence, it's a modernizing technocratic form of anti-corruption, uh, which would be achieved through the uh, vanguard actions of a judiciary. Um, for Bolsonaro, that's not exactly what anti-corruption means. For him and his supporters, and including many people who also purport to support, support Sergio Moro, corruption for them just means things they don't like. This could be uh, the influence of the Workers' Party uh, as a communist force, alleged communist force, uh, gender ideology, uh, mer- the breakdown of meritocracy, meaning quota system. Basically, anti-corruption uh, just means things they don't like. So in the sense that uh, what really is corrupt for them is uh, those who don't deserve uh, their place in society getting an unfair advantage, which means basically for these guys that uh, those who have been historically oppressed or kept in their place in Brazil got out of place that was corruption for them. So I think in that sense, a lot of people who purport to be against corruption, including Bolsonaro himself, don't actually mean uh, petty graft or whatever form of corruption we're talking about. They mean these sort of uh, grand ideas about society and just corruption serves as a catch-all concept for complaining about things they don't like. So there's an interesting point to be brought up here. Uh, I think you mentioned it in the piece that you wrote for the Brazilian report over the weekend. No matter what your definition of anti-corruption politics is, do you think that it's actually now a relevant platform as we, you know, in the situation that we're in just now, we have this massive pandemic, we have an impending economic collapse. Is anti-corruption worth pursuing? Well, there's two aspects to it. In the way that anti-corruption politics has uh, worked out in Brazil, its legacy is disastrous. It's uh, proved a platform for some of the most anti-democratic and authoritarian interests to gain power. And uh, saying that at least he's against corruption doesn't really mean much in a context where uh, the economy is collapsing, thousands of people are dying, 
the existing uh, economic and social systems thrown into crisis. It doesn't put food on the table, uh, ranting about at least we're not against corruption or we're going to lock them up, but no one significant is being locked up by this government uh, right now. I think I don't think anti-corruption politics is a vehicle for winning elections, and I don't think it ever was. I think what anti-corruption, as I said earlier, served as in the 2018 elections was just dissatisfaction with the Workers' Party. It just meant things you don't like. I think in the, but I think at the same time, this idea of a technocratic, modernizing, anti-corruption credential as something which is key to any future political campaign will remain an element of Brazilian politics. Uh, it, it's not that people will say that uh, they abandoning anti-corruption. It's just that it will be we're doing X and Y, and anti-corruption is one of those things. It will sort of become, again, one of these tokenistic issues in Brazilian politics that you use various things to claim your credibility on. So, moving on a little bit here, uh, Sergio Moro, there is a suggestion that he could even be a presidential candidate come 2022. Um, there's actually suggestions coming from Moro himself. Some of the words that he's come out with are pointing towards that. First of all, do you think that he would he would stand a chance of winning, perhaps? Do you think that there's a chance that he would stand as a candidate in the first place? And how would Sergio Moro remain relevant in the political sphere until 2022, now that he's out of government? Well, these are very good questions. Um, I think he's clearly an ambitious political figure. I mean, if one could uh, deduce any coherence from uh, Bolsonaro's uh, rather rambling speech he delivered, uh, on after Sergio Moro's resignation, it's that uh, Sergio Moro is an egomaniac who's out there for his own personal ambition, which many people have accused him of before. And he's made no real secret to uh, hide his ambitions. So for people who are debating for quite a while whether his eyes were in the presidency or the Supreme Court, now he's fallen out with Bolsonaro. It's very unlikely Bolsonaro would appoint him to the Supreme Court. So I think uh, the presidency is one likely scenario. The question is then, uh, what chance does he stand? Well, he certainly stands a chance. The polling indicates he's perhaps still the most popular public figure in Brazil, even though uh, I would, and he's probably regained some of his sort of bipartisan imagery or uh, after he's exited the sinking ship of the Bolsonaro government, if it's in fact sinking as a qualifier, uh, even though I would argue his, the stain should not be removed from his legacy. Uh, but the question is, who is his base? I mean, he has in his favor, he has the support of powerful networks in Brazil. Uh, the global network is very partisanly always in favor of Sergio Moro and others are too. So he has the uh, positive media coverage, which he's certainly going to get. He also has uh, what remains of support for the Operation Pikawash. But... I would argue, and I made this argument in the piece, that the base of support is quite weaker in reality than it appears. In terms of a hardcore base, he really only has the upper middle class, I think. Uh, he's no longer can, I think, credibly claim to be a bipartisan figure, so he's alienated uh, left liberal and left potential left voters who might be against corruption, but uh, after his actions, they see him as a very partisan right-wing figure. And I think for the overwhelming majority of Brazilians, the, the masses, if you would like, uh, people like the idea of Sergio Moro more than the reality. They don't really know 
the Soju more. They just know that he's some sort of guy who gets rid of corruption. He hasn't really ever engaged in a sort of more personalized appeal to them. It's always through uh, institutional networks such as Global, which calls for people to support Sergio Moro as a judge. One, you can't really go out and make popular appeals like that uh, because it kind of defies what you're trying to do. Even if you can use the media, manipulate through leaks and stuff to make, create, and craft an image. And I think, uh, frankly speaking, Sergio Moro lacks a populist touch. He's not a charismatic speaker. He's not somebody you can imagine sitting down with some guy from the side of the road and having a conversation, trying to win him over. He's someone who uh, is sort of a guy who speaks to certain in a certain way to a certain type of person. He's not even Bolsonaro for all his many uh, curiosities and faults is still a guy who can be seen as a bar on a weekend making off-color jokes. It makes him sort of more of a uh, proletarian or popular figure. Moro, on the other hand, is a decidedly middle-class figure who uh, in some ways is limited for that. It hasn't stopped other figures such as uh, Fernando Enrique Cardoso, for instance, from being elected, this sort of uh, academic uh, elitist image. But he's also going to have to do battle with all the other people vying for the crown of the respectable right-wing opposition to Bolsonaro, which is people like Luciano Huck, uh, a, the talk show host of uh, various global shows. And uh, as everyone Brazilian will tell you, he's always on global during every single commercial break. So he's always there on the screen. So it gives him some sort of a popular touch. And then you have other figures like Joao Doria, the governor of Sao Paulo, who have been... Uh, making their eyes on the uh, um, presidential election 2022 for quite some time now. As Benjamin mentioned, Sergio Moro has been directly involved in the downfall of two ex-presidents. Whether he can make that a third depends on how Brazil's institutions will behave in the coming weeks and months. You can read Ben's excellent piece on what the future holds for Sergio Moro at Brazilian.report. In the meantime, Brazil's institutional deadlock continues. With any luck, it will soon stop disrupting the country's fight against the vicious coronavirus pandemic. But whatever the outcome, we'll be back here each week to discuss it. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars and share this podcast with your friends. But that's not the best way to support us. Actually, you can go to our website and with as little as $3.90, you can subscribe to the best content about Brazil in English. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. We are bringing new content every day about how the pandemic is affecting every single aspect of life in Brazil and Latin America, all the way from the stock market to the sex industry. We also have a paywall-free COVID-19 live blog. That's it for this week. Stay home, stay safe, and I see you next week.